The Last Word with Matt Cooper. It's time for our annual non-fiction review of the year. And as ever, we are joined by the journalist Lise Hand and by the Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue. Thank you both very much for bringing in all your books, your recommendations. And Lise, I'm going to start with you from a book that came out back in January, which I remember you reviewing for us at the time. And it's made your book of the year list, Spare. Spare, yes. Um, This is Prince Harry's... um, one of his many warts and all uh, books, memoirs, appearances, TV things, whatever, um, to tell the story of his life. Uh, Harry not necessarily being the most academic, he did actually employ a ghostwriter, very, very, very talented guy, uh, J.R. Moringer. Who did Andre's Agassiz book and also Phil Knight's book. Precisely. And, I mean, you can definitely see his mark all over it. I mean, you know, this this has a literary sheen to it that that Harry himself wouldn't have. And, I mean, it sold records. I mean, it was actually the fastest-selling book in Ireland. Uh, It it actually outsold Paul O'Connell's autobiography, The Battle. Um, So there was a huge appetite for this. And, you know, look, it goes through his life. It tells a story with great pathos uh, about the death of his mother and there's, you know, at the very beginning there's a very sort of sad sort of scenario where the little 12 year old boy's lying in a big drafty bed and his dad comes in and tells him his mum is dead and then he just like heads off and leaves the poor little kid there overnight to think about this and that sort of really was the, the defining moment of his life and the whole book really is about him coming to terms with that, losing his way, fighting it. It's a funny mixture of self-pity uh, a bit of whinging, um, a, a bit of humour, a bit of dry wit. He's not dislikable, though. He's not dislikable. I mean, he he isn't. Um, but I and it's really, really well written. I mean, it's a galloping read. So there's no doubt about it. Pascal, did you read it? I I I haven't read it, but the two books I have in my mind that I do want to try and read over Christmas is either the Britney book or the Prince Harry book. <laughs> and after Lisa's words, there, Prince Harry's ahead of Britney. Yay! <laughs> Similar stories, perhaps, of having to deal with the attention of the media as well. In uh, in, indeed, uh, both of whom were exposed to intense media focus at a really, really young age, weren't they? And both of whom, it appears, have really experienced the consequences of it as well. Uh, uh, but I think I'm going to give both both good books a go in the coming in the coming few weeks now. I'm going to stay with you, Lise, because I want this logical to go. I think to what turned out to be in the Irish Book Awards, the last word readers' choice as book of the year was Katrina O'Sullivan's Poor, because this is as far removed oh, yeah. from the privileged upbringing of Prince Harry as you can imagine, and is an extraordinary story of overcoming adversity. Yes, I mean the reason I don't have a copy of this with me is. Like a lot of people, I read it and immediately passed it on to somebody saying, you absolutely have to read yeah. this. It's the most extraordinary book. It's, it's, an ex- it's just, you're reading it and you, you, you're actually going, how can this be true? And, you know, she, this, is, this is a woman, she's in her mid-40s now. She's a wonderful woman. I've had the great pleasure to meet her. And she overcame an absolutely chaotic, poverty-ridden childhood and upbringing um, her both her parents were d- drug addicts. She grew up in Coventry. She became pregnant at fifteen, became homeless, had her own struggles. Eventually moved to Dublin. Now, this is a really really short version. Moved to Ireland. Um, was trying to find her way, and by a chance meeting, uh, she discovered she she heard about access programs in Trinity College. Applied to do one. And then basically ended up going through that, acing it, and now uh, and finally getting a PhD and is now lecturing in Maynooth, has children of her own, 
and is a fearless and absolutely outspoken advocate for um, for children, for how to get children out of poverty, how how important the having access to supports, also having access to kindness and also having some hope because they're the three things that she really focuses in on. She actually focuses very much on a teacher as well, particularly when she yes. was at school in Coventry, who did not give up on her. I mean, there was, some of the stories are extraordinary. I mean, her 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 home life was so chaotic that you know, at one stage a teacher brought her in and taught her how to wash because she was getting ostracised in the class for smelling. So this teacher used to bring her in fresh underwear every day and taught her actually how to wash and look after herself. And like such acts of kindness, again, when she didn't want to do her A-levels uh, or was it her O-levels, um, a teacher came to her door. She was a young, uh, she was, you know, at that stage had a small baby and persuaded her to do her, 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 her exam in English. And everywhere along the way, she, you know, she, her own determination was, was bolstered when any time it faltered by just coming across the right person. And it's, it is hard to read, but it's the most extraordinary book. I mean, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Your first choice, Pascal, is one that's on my short list as it happens to read over Christmas. It's a book by the English political columnist and commentator Daniel Finkelstein, who I think is a Tory peer. He is but indeed. He, but he wrote this book, Hitler, Stalin, Mum and Dad. Tell us why it's so, on your list. Uh, Daniel Finkelstein uh, began as a political advisor to Ian Duncan Smith. I was one of the, I was and is one of the wise men of the Conservative Party. He's also a director of Chelsea Football Club. Uh, and a member of the House of Lords. And uh, this book is about the history of the um, of his family. Part of his family grew up in Poland, part of his family grew up in Germany. And it's about the onset of the Holocaust. It is about what war can do to families. And it's about the reality of migration at a time of war and terror. And if this sounds like uh, a dark read for Christmas, it's anything but because it's based in love for his family, for those who went before him, and an appreciation of what civilization can also offer, which is summed up by his family settling in Hendon Central in London. And the last few lines of the book that I just want to read, he's talking about what really matters, and he says, for reason over over irrationality, for optimism and resilience tempered by the memory of dictatorship and oppression, and for the quiet institutions of a stable society in a peaceful state, as my grandmother Louisa used to say, while the Queen is safe in Buckingham Palace, we are safe in Hendon Central. And it's about the stories across Europe that got to that point, and it's scary and beautiful. At a time when everyone is appalled by what Israel is doing in Gaza, it is interesting to read the experiences of the Jewish people who survived the Holocaust and those who were lost. Just completely aside, I've just finished the biography of the Rush lead vocalist and bass player Geddy Lee. 40 pages in it, writing about his parents' experiences of coming through Auschwitz and then emigrating to so, Canada is so deeply, deeply upsetting to read and very moving so as there well. Were parts of this book that I skimmed because I found it Too so upsetting and so bracing, which are the scenes we know from history about what war about what World War Two did, about what migration did and the staggering horror of what happened to Jewish communities 
all over Central and Eastern Europe. And there are early pages in this book that I found really, really hard. But the reason why, despite all that, I recommend it for a Christmas gift is ultimately it's about the triumph of love and the triumph of family and how his family tried to get through challenges that we could not comprehend. And uh, I only finished it off over the weekend. I regret I left it so late in the year to read. And particularly for that time of the year in which you might have a few days off, or work mightn't be that busy. It's a book that deserves a few hours of your time over a number of days. It's truly beautiful. Okay, that's a great recommendation. Your next one is a book that I'm two-thirds of the way through, Lise, Politics on the Edge by Rory Stewart. Yeah, I, and I, came, I, I sort of stumbled upon this one by accident. I was one of those things, was in a shop, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's your man. Oh, sure, I'll give it a go. And I just absolutely loved it. And I also listened to some of it on an uh, audiobook, and I massively enjoyed it. It is a rollicking read. He's an interesting guy. He wasn't a career politician. He had done many, many things in his life before he actually entered politics, um, including running a province in Iraq. Um, he walked across America, I think, after 9-11. Uh, this, you know, he's, he's very much a sort of an individualist. Decided to run, um, you know, run, he became an MP in, in 2010 uh, with, into David Cameron's government. And the great thing about this book is he clearly dislikes Cameron and the feeling is mutual. Definitely took an instant dislike against Boris Johnson. Um, and he loads Boris Johnson. I mean, really, really loads him, and it's 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 massively entertaining. That even though he's an, the, eat, he's an eaten boy himself, isn't he's he? He's an eaten boy himself, but he's he's just quirky and interesting. And his but he he ends up falling in love with politics. And I'm just going to really for for Pascal because it's going to show that the, the really politics is actually a very universal thing. <laughs> He was on his very... He, Pascal you, is you, looking very nervous here. here I am, I <laughs> this am. It's one of these moments I wish this was more than radio. <laughs> but actually, you are on camera, Pascal. So <laughs> oh, God. Damage is done. No, I just love this, because when I read it, I thought, it's politics can be universal, and he had never been on the canvas, so he went out okay. with a candidate, right, a Tory candidate, uh, for a canvas in Scotland. And I think, you, so they were canvassing a housing estate, and they were down a cul-de-sac, and nobody was opening the door. <laughs> So, finally, the door was opened by a large man in shorts with veined biceps and a tight white T-shirt. Ah, he said, I've been waiting for you. I'd like to talk to the candidate, please. I smiled and called the candidate over. Another corrupt MP, eh, he began. Up to your snout in the expensive scandal. What are you claiming for at this moment? Your bat plug? Your walkman? Probably claiming for, for visiting me, no? No, 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 said the candidate quickly. I'm not an MP yet. I'm just waiting for your chance there. In training, what are you going to buy first? I'm as disappointed as you are. Are you now? I am. Are you now indeed? Conservative, Mrs Thatcher, you're going to ride police horses in the face of the working man? No, I. I don't know how you sleep at night, the man said with joyful finality and closed the door with a bang. All I can say <laughs> is I was always hoping if somebody was going to serenade me with a book, it'd be about something different than a description of a bad canvas. But are you going to tell me that you have, you have had, you have been that soldier, haven't oh, you? Oh, it's happened to me so many times, but I, so many times, uh, but I actually um, haven't got to that book and I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'm in a hurry to do it. Why not? Why? I have an awful feeling that uh, uh, Rory looks down on everybody in politics. He looks down on people that are uh, perhaps not as smart and as gifted as he is. Uh, politics is grind. It's compromise. It's really tough. It involves uh, frequently a lot of sacrifice. And um, 
I just am hit by the lingering suspicion that Rory's walked off the field of battle on many occasions. Okay, that's very honest, interesting. Sorry, because he's the best section of the book of what I've got to is in relation to his time as Minister with Responsibility for Prisons. The prisons, yeah, yeah. And his what he writes about the prisons is absolutely damning. But also the shortcoming, perhaps, in British politics, which we don't maybe suffer as much here, the rapid turnover in ministers, which means nothing gets done. But he's also quite critical of the civil service, who he does, and if you say, if he looks down at anyone, it's not other politicians, it's his belief that the civil service does not want to do things, does not want to change things. He's just so critical of everything. I just wonder where he finds the... I the, think you should give it a chance. The joy in politics. Do you know what I will? You particularly know, I really after the way you've read it out to me there. I feel like <laughs> no, I've no Sarah choice. I feel like I've no choice but I to think, give it a go now. I, but I think you'll find it quite likable. And he genuinely was surrounded by, by Sir Humphreys a lot of the time. Like, you, you know, he was trying to get things done. Now, their system is quite different. But he's it's a brilliant insight just into the very rigorous way that politics works over there. It's all hierarchical. It's incredibly snobbish. Uh, very risk-averse. And... He does come across, and he's brutally honest about himself. I mean, he takes the mickey out of his own maiden speech and points out that he was immediately hashtag twat watch, you know, so <laughs> for this. So I, I think give it a go. Okay, you've convinced me. You've convinced me. <laughs> okay, you've got a political book that I'm, you've made me very interested in from my notes. It's called The Last Politician by Franklin Four. Franklin yeah, Four. So Tell us about this. This is a super book. So we're about to be hit by a deluge of books about American politics for obvious reasons next year. And this is a book uh, about the uh, Biden, the President Biden's uh, administration. It's called The Last Politician because the thesis of the book is that President Biden is the last of a particularly old school of American politicians that's into counting your votes, into compromise, into hell fellow well mess, and always trying to look to find common ground with your opponent. Exactly the kind of politics and politician that in America at the moment is under pressure and increasing in short supply. So uh, Joe Biden is the last politician for that kind of politics. And the book is all about the ups and downs of his, of his administration, the challenges that he has had from the pandemic to the Ukraine and what that's going to mean for the campaign next year. And the reason I found this book uh, so enjoyable is it really captured the pace and the volatility of politics for me. And it was sympathetic uh, without being blind to the faults of anybody in the book. Does he have achievements? Because the narrative has development that he's doddery old Joe and that he's too old to be re-elected because he is not effective. I think he has his... uh, The first term of his presidency uh, will go down as a substantial one by historians. Economically, due to the Inflation Reduction Act, which has reshaped the American economy. Politically, due to the handling of the pandemic. Uh, and then finally, because of his response to the invasion of Ukraine, uh, he's also the only politician that's ever se- defeated President Biden either directly or through proxies in the midterm elections. Uh, one way or the other, he's already a president of historical consequence. The big question is, Matt, what happens next? Well, tell and us, all tell the, us, what's going God, to happen Matt, next? I, we're, we're, we're all looking to see what will happen next, but if you're getting ready for those moments and getting ready to think about what's going to happen next year in America. This is a great book 
to begin with. Yeah, we're really well a, written. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with more of our non-fiction books of the year with Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue, in Lee's hand after this break. Okay, let's go to your <laughs> next choice of books and also a political book, but one set in Ireland. Justine McCarthy was a guest recently on the programme. You love her columns and I in Ireland. Yes, I really do. And I think it's... It kind of came out quietly and I really would hate to see it sort of overlooked when people are mm-hmm. picking books for, for Christmas because it is quite an extraordinary book. And Justine herself is, is a remarkable woman. Um, she recently, last month, picked up uh, an award for the Journalist Awards for um, Broadcast Columnist of the Year, uh, Broadsheet Columnist of the Year. And almost immediately when that I, I found online, somebody had posted a piece of video from Justine McCarthy picking up a, a journalist award in 1988. Like this woman has had a, and is, continues to have a storied career in every sense of the word. And this book is absolutely wonderful. It, it's called A Journey Through Social Change and it really is. She, she was there at so many pivotal events in Irish, in, in Irish life, um, both socially and politically. And she also managed to land amazing scoops. I mean, she, she writes... It's fascinating listening to her sitting in the kitchen of Annie Murphy interviewing her after um, the Bishop Casey after affair. the Bishop Casey affair, which of course just absolutely and utterly shocked and galvanised the country and probably kicked off events that that rolled on down through the decades. And um, she and she writes. She's particularly always very strong as writing on women's stories. And I mean, she even says in the introduction, you know, that as women's stories dragged Ireland kicking and screaming into a better future. But it's also got a lot of humour in it as well. It's not an absolutely heavy book. It's really, really wonderful. Pascal, you like the football manager or player who doesn't read the papers. So do you read what the likes of Justine McCarthy writes about you and other politicians? Uh, of course I do. Not always the day it's written on, because uh, I do believe really it's very important at the weekend to have at least a day or a few hours in which you're not focusing in on your job or how people think about how you're doing your job. But, I mean, she is just one of the most eminent journalists and commentators that we have. It's great to see a book that does justice to such a career. And also, incidentally, it's a very beautiful book. It's a very beautifully produced book. And I'm sure it would make for great reading in the new year. Your next choice is Michael Lewis, Going Infinite. This is the author of The Big Short and the likes of Flash Boys and lots of great books. And yet there are a lot of people who are critical of this in the way they haven't been critical of his previous books, The Story of Sam Bankman-Fried. Why did you go for it? So I'm actually reading it at the moment. I have to say I've not finished it yet, uh, but I'm already sure it's going to be one of my most interesting and enjoyable reads of the year. Just to very briefly uh, uh, say what the story is, it's about this extraordinary billionaire who made a phenomenal amount of money through the the, the very opaque world of crypto assets and digital currencies. And he uh, is now uh, subject to multiple criminal investigations. Oh, he has been convicted. And uh, some of which have led to his convictions with a huge amount of of work going on in relation to his company as well. Lot, some criticism of this book, uh, that the author Michael Lewis was a bit too close and a bit too sympathetic uh, to the former tycoon. Um, I really enjoyed it for two reasons. The first one is Michael Lewis continues to be a fantastic journalist and writer. And for example, the early scenes of the book when he's been interviewed by is it Anna Wintour, the editor of Vogue magazine, yes. while playing a computer game at the same time, <laughs> is not only very amusing of itself, but really well written. The book is full of scenes like that. And secondly, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried was clearly 
a really complex and one-of-a-kind individual. And uh, this book did justice to trying to understand that before you then go on to understand the criminality and what he became. I'm surprised and disappointed that neither of you had the Elon Musk book by Walter Isaacson on your list, which is one of my favourite books of the year. Isaacson has been criticised for being a little bit soft on Musk, which I think is perhaps unfair. Have you not turned to that? I haven't turned to it yet. I've read some of other Isaacson's books, and it's a book I'll probably get to, uh, but... Um, I uh, it's also a really big book, isn't it? It's enormous, it's a very, but it's very, still very big book, very readable. It's worth reading. You okay. decided not to read it, I believe. No, I, just, I he is just such a plonker, and <laughs> he's just an evil so and so. And I cannot bring myself to to actually, you know, to give that time over to him. And I mean, my work means I have to spend a lot, quite a lot of time on his absolute and utter banjaxed website, wading through. The horrors on there, so I have, I'm in no mood to read a book about him. Well, then go to Doppelganger by Naomi oh, Klein, right. who was only in here in the studio recently uh, discussing this book, and I think you like it more than I did. I really like this book. Um, it's a fantastic premise, Doppelganger by Naomi Klein, and she was. It's. It, it's. I think I like the book because it's very unexpected. It starts off as um, her, quite playful because she kept on getting being mistaken for Naomi Wolf. Mm-hmm. And um, there are similarities. I mean, they both had written sort of, you know, generation-defining kind of books. Um, she they had uh, the same first name. Yes, and they had the same first name. But, you know, Naomi Wolf had written The Beauty Myth um, and Naomi Klein had written No Logo and they were both, you know, massively influential. They both had sort of dark hair and they were both Jewish and they're both... Naomi have, Wolf's have, hair is bigger. Yes, definitely bigger. There's no doubt about and, that. And they were both kind of iconic writers of their time. They were yes, very they much really, iconic yeah. writers. I mean, they really were. Um, but they both took very different paths. Very and Naomi yeah. Wolf really fell down the rabbit holes of the far right. And mm-hmm. really, uh, particularly during COVID, just completely went astray on the whole thing about vaccines and world domination and depopulation and all those awful things. So she started this as a book to explore the fact that she had this doppelganger. She was, why was she doppelganger? But the book then brilliantly broadens out into a really rigorous look at just how we, we all have avatars, you know, that we all have these sort of fake sort of uh, personae that go up on social media, um, that disinformation is swirling around us and it's very hard to tell what's true, what isn't. And she charts the really tangled path between the far left and the far right and where they sort of meet. You might have gun-toting libertarians literally side by side with wellness gurus and they're both want to say, they're both singing off the same hymn sheet. And I think it's really, really well written and um, it's, she just, she, she rigorously looks at her own prejudices but, and she never loses the head. I mean, I, I quote that you probably love, she quotes John Berger's observation to her that calm is a form of resistance, which I presume that might be I'd buy into that. I'm still grappling into I'm still grappling with the consequences that you and I have avatars, Lise. <laughs> there you go. You never this know where your avatar shock. might pop up. I, I think, I think Mario really... might be your avatar. <laughs> oh, he's got a dark avatar though. That's the difference. Yeah, he is. All right, listen, I'm tight yeah. on time, so I need to move to the next book. You've won by a Jacob Mikanowski yeah. called Goodbye Eastern Europe, an intimate history of a divided land. So this is the book I have on my list because I think if I don't talk about it it's the kind of book that people might pass over in the bookshop and think oh that's a nice cover uh, but I'm not going to pick it up or read it and it is a beautifully written book 
about all of the change that has happened in Central and Eastern Europe, the cultures that appeared, the countries that existed, and how they've all changed. And if we're going, so this goes over the millennia. Does over it? the millennia, and if we're going to, we talked about the Franklin Forward book earlier on about American politics. Increasingly, as we think about Europe and its future, we'll be grappling with uh, the future of Central and Eastern Europe. And this is a beautiful book and really, really well written and enjoyable about what has happened in the long history of that part of Europe. And I'm really conscious, if you look at all the books that I have here, that it may sound a little bit weighty or a little bit off-buzzing. It's so well written. Anybody with a passing interest in history would enjoy it. Okay, I've only got time just quickly for one more book each, and I need to get Hilary Mantel, A Memoir of My Former Self, A Life in Writing, because how long is this since Hilary Mantel died? It's only just over a year, and I have to say I was surprisingly upset when she died because... I, her death is unexpected. She was just shy of her 50th wedding anniversary. She was only a few days short of moving to Kinsale, herself and her husband. But I still remember randomly buying Wolf Hall back in 2009 and literally sitting bolt upright and reading it from cover to cover, being absolutely and utterly shocked at how amazing it was that I closed it and opened it and started again. She was the most incredible writer. And this is, it's a grandiose title, but it's, it's sort of a collection of, of her writings. And it's full of her wonderful barbed wit and her incredible passion about writing. I mean, she, she's, you know, she's great lines like, you know, show me a man, it's usually a man who doesn't see, in quotes, the point of fiction, and I'll show you a pompous, inflexible, self-absorbed bore. And uh, she, you know, and I think what As we extol the benefits of our non-fiction reading list here. I know, I know. Here, I know you yeah, read a lot yeah, of fiction as well. well. Fiction, it's all right. So, but I think, uh, you know, and I... I, she every time she was great at knocking down sacred cows. Her next, she was actually about to. She was embarking on had just started a book, a rewrite of Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen, which would have been absolutely fascinating. Okay, your final choice, Pascal, and we're nearly out of time. But it's called How Economics Can Save the World by Eric Anger, which I think is highly appropriate for a man who apparently is in the running to be the next boss of the International Monetary Fund. Oh, I knew you'd slip that in some way back now. Um, but I'm going to talk about the book instead, right? Uh, this is a, um, uh, a wonderfully witty and lightly read book that any secondary school student, anybody thinking about studying economics, would lap up. It has chapters in it like how to be happy, how to be humble, how to build community. And it relates those experiences back to the teaching of different economists. And if you're in um, finishing off the junior cert, thinking about should you study economics for the leaving cert, this is the book for you. I can't pay any book a higher compliment than that. Well, just before we go, I know you and I, you know, we often exchange books and I hope that you know, you'll take one. But I did buy a little present this oh, time. Oh, God. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's top 10 things to do in Washington, D.C. <laughs> so, Lisa, I'm going to take it off you because of the um, affection, respect and be mildly scared of you, of course, as well. Uh, but the only D.C. I'm not focused on is Dublin Central, oh, as you know, Lisa. And that um, that's my, that as I keep on saying to all of you, is uh, all I'm doing and my only focus. So a more appropriate book would have been the top ten for Dublin DC. Okay, <laughs> Thank well, you, you, Lisa, never anyway. know. you never know. Thank right. you very much to both of you as ever for doing this each year. We hope you'll be available next year to do it, no matter what job you might be in at the time. Pascal Donoghue and Lee Sands, thank you so much. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.